Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. Recognize this quotes movie? Stay tuned to find out or check out the title of this episode of Talking Pictures Trivia. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of geographically challenged friends explore movies through trivia as an excuse to keep their friendships alive. I'm one of these friends and today's host, Nick, and with me is... Tom and KJ. Additionally, joining us as guests this week are... Pat and Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Pat has joined us for numerous movies made before 1973, but somehow we got him on the Fast and Furious and Michael Hahn episodes too. Kevin has also joined us for a bunch of upbeat movies, including Rams and Kundun. <laughs> Real upbeat. <laughs> Pat and Kevin conveniently like movies. For those joining us for the first time, we start off each episode with a movie quiz as these pivotal questions will determine who earns today's trivia crown. In round one, each question is worth one point, And in round two, each question is worth two points, unless Tom does whatever the heck he wants. Then, once the fierce competition is over, we followed up with our famous movie rant where anything goes. Tom, tell us about today's movie. Walking up to theaters in 1948, we would have had to choose between Miracle on 34th Street, Gentleman's Agreement, Road to Rio, and today's movie, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. All right, so The Treasure of the Sierra Madre is a film that takes place in Mexico where three Americans, uh, Dobbs, Curtin, and the old gold prospector Howard, team up to go into the mountains and search for gold, and gold indeed they find. However, the tension of the expedition and the greed that gold inspires creates an unusual and challenging environment that they have to endure. Nick, if you had one word to describe the treasure of the Sierra Madre, what would it be? Gold! Pat? Dusty. Kevin? I'm going to have to stick with my standby bummer. And KJ. Badges? And my word would be exhaustion. It's time for question one. What is the first assurance Dobbs gives Howard? Locked in. I'll lock in. Lock in. Locked in with a pretty vague answer there, Tom. All right, KJ, what is your pretty vague answer? I think Dobbs was saying, oh, Dobbs wouldn't be influenced by gold. He'd be happy with his first whatever quantity, and that would be enough for him. So the assurance that he wouldn't get caught up in the greed. All right, Nick, what do you have? Probably a few beats after that. Uh, so I don't know if this KJ's vague answer is closer or not. But he mentions that when he wins the lotto, that he'll cover the difference that they'll need for the materials. And even though it wouldn't be even with Curtin, he would still keep it even because it's more than enough than you know he would have ever had before. So it would not be a problem. All right, Kevin, what do you have? I'm sorry, was the question the assurance to Curtin or the assurance to Howard? To Howard. Howard. But you're Howard. already locked in. <laughs> True. Okay. Um, 
that's that's good because I it, I was going to go very vague along the lines of what KJ said or very vague along the lines of what Nick said, depending on if it was <laughs> to to Curtin or Howard. Uh, so I'm going to go very vague on on the on the lines of what KJ said uh, that he wouldn't be influenced by uh, greed and that he would be happy to take his share of whatever they found and and uh, move on, no problems. Just to, to clarify, Howard is the one who questions him putting more up there. Just throwing that out there. It wasn't to Kurt when he was talking. All right. And Pat, what do you have? Yeah, similar to KJ, because I think what he says is more, a little more specifically, is that because he basically says that whenever he got as much as he had set out to get, he would walk away that that's that it's that he would be not just that he would be happy with whatever his share was but that he would be happy with what that once he got whatever he had set out for all right very good um pat is the most specific and correct response but i'm going to give the points to pat cage and kevin because basically it's it's within that ballpark yeah, yeah yeah exactly very good yeah and um this assurance was given in the kind of dive hotel Casa Negro, I think it's called. No, uh, Oro Negro. Oro Negro. Oro Black Negro. Bear. There we go. Yeah. It's, I think it's Oso. It's the Black Bear, isn't it? Oso Negro? Oh, mm-hmm. is it Oso Negro? Oh, whatever it is. Black Bear. Yeah. Um, Oso Negro. Okay. Probably moments before my answer. <laughs> um, yeah, that happens a little later when Howard... Um, oh, they come back. When they come uh, back, when they okay. actually yeah, yeah. decide to, to go for it. Uh, and so I bring this question forward more or less to talk about the both the setup to this and the characters, how the setup presents the characters and how how we kind of receive those characters and deal with them early on. It's pretty great, right? <laughs> like we we start at roughly the bottom, right? They're they're they what does Dobbs say? Like he can't even shine shoes because there's certain rules, but he can beg, and that's about all he can do because. The next job he could do would be too far out of reach right now. He can only beg to an American. Right, right. Yeah, and there were even rules on the begging. So I, I, it's it was wonderful how low it started. And when Dobbs was saying, I wouldn't get caught up with the greed, you're like, no, of course you wouldn't. Why would you? You got nothing right now. <laughs> you, you, you know what's coming because it's it's a movie and why else would we be watching? But it was it was still believable in that moment, even though I knew that's where this movie was going. I think they do a good job because I know this was a, a conversation. I've seen this quote before that basically one of the criticisms of the movie is that it's so obvious that Dobbs is going to become like that he's that he's that he's totally lying and that he is going to become greedy and everything like that. But I think that I think they actually do a decent job of trying to undercut that. And they do it in a number of occasions. Like the the, the best one is when they meet up with Pat McCormick in the bar. Which I, lo- I love that. Ball. I love that brawl. And the reason I love that brawl in the bar is because it's it doesn't feel choreographed. It has that just that's what a bar brawl is like. Is there <laughs> and no sound effects, Pat? Too. That's what jumped out at me. It was like it was real. We're yeah. used to hearing bang, slap, and, bash. Mm-hmm. It was just no. This is the, you know. And that's exactly no. Like, Sorry, exactly I had to jump in, but like that's I, I love, love that scene too. Totally right. There's yeah. no. It's not like people are yelling. There's no smashing. It's just like, you know, probably just some sound effects guy punching a thing of meat, you know, whatever it is. And it's it's kind of brutal and it sounds extremely real. And it's so messy as they like both get like all get smashed around. I love it. But I think what they do with Dobbs is he goes and he takes Pat McCormick's money and he takes only as much as he actually earned. 
and he gives the rest of the money back. So there's this sense of like, they set it up that even though he got screwed over, he doesn't take any more than he was actually, than he, that he had actually earned. And I think they do it again, which we were in the scene that we were just talking about, which is when he says like, no, 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 I'll totally, I don't care. Like I'll put as much up. I don't really care how much I get out of it. I'll be so much richer than I ever would have been if I get that much money, I don't care. So I think they set up Dobbs actually fairly well that yeah we all know it's coming because it's humphrey bogart and we know he's gonna be like that that's this way it's clearly where it's going but they at least give the character enough moments periodically that it's not obvious that he's going to turn into darth vader like you you kind of know that he's like they're attempting to undercut that i completely agree this is the first watch i had no experience with the book or any of the material before that and it wasn't forced it was very smooth and believable as he gets tempted from that position. So I thought that was very well done. Maybe people who have seen this 5,000 times or, or read the source material have a different impression, but I, I think they did it great. Yeah, I think they show him sort of um, adhering to the code even when he doesn't have to in, in, um, in both those situations, both the begging situation and, and the uh, you know, uh, construction worker getting what he is due situation they show him having integrity and i think maybe it's because i read the book beforehand but i i think i sort of saw some cracks in that wall during that process as well um but i do think they they certainly did their due diligence and as far as no this guy is on the up and up you can believe that he will keep his word yeah nick i imagine if you did go back and watch it You'd be right back into no, maybe he won't get tricked this time on on this watch through. It, that's how well portrayed I thought it was. The one thing I'll throw out though that I think they also do because they don't make him look totally saintly, and obviously like him fighting the guy in the bar and this kind of stuff. But what they like, I love the because isn't it is it, John Houston is the dude in the white suit? Isn't yeah, he? it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the dude he keeps going to beg for is the director. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's <laughs> is that a question? Because I know the answer to that one. Yeah, which is actually how Humphrey Bogart got the role. But anyway. <laughs> Um, he was begging from the director. He, he asked for it. Yeah, he was asking for it. But any, mm-hmm. oh, 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 I thought you um, meant like. I said I was actually. I'm like, I would have thought Bogart was well known enough by that point. But anyway, um, <laughs> but you know the fact that he keeps going up. Which also, there's a great uh, Looney Tunes episode where they have uh, Humphrey Bogart keeps showing up and he keeps going up to Bugs Bunny, going, "Hey, can you give a fellow American a money?" <laughs> and then, like literally, Bugs Bunny is traveling from like Mexico through South America and ends up in Antarctica. And when he's down there, like Humphrey Bogart keeps walking up to him. <laughs> but the thing is, in, even in that sequence, though, they said it up that he's he says something like well i didn't look at your face i just looked at your money so it's obvious that even even in that situation like this guy is still pretty preoccupied with money like he doesn't care about who's giving it to him he just cares about money and so it's they do give some subtle indications that it's not as if you just come out of left field that they've set this guy up as like no no no, he would never do this kind of thing and then they pull the rug out it's they've 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 done both i think they do their due diligence on both sides of it that's interesting, Pat. When he said he didn't look at the face, to me, I thought that was more part of the beggar's code. You, you, it's more respectful not to make eye contact, and so I saw that as him even playing the game correctly further. I think the book lays it out in in slightly different terms, where um, his his resentment of the people around him is abundantly clear in the book. Um, I don't know that you quite got that same level of resentment out of the movie. But I think it's there if you look for it. I also like how 
these people don't come from anywhere. Like you have no idea where Dobbs is from or why he can't go back to America. And Kurt in the same way. Curtin is, just in terms of adaptation, because this is our adaptation block after all, Curtin is, and I don't know if, if Pat and Kevin would agree, um, is a easier character to like in the movie than the book. He's sort of juxtaposed a little more against Dobbs. Um, however, there is this kind of idea of them like living in this way station and they came from nowhere. They're sort of like creatures of the environment. And at the same time, they're not creatures of the environment because they're they're not Mexican. They don't really even have the language. And so it's, it's also very odd, not only um, interesting characters that are brought in, but the setup is very interesting because these are people without pasts to a certain degree. It's time for question two. Why does Howard say they shouldn't get a land permit once they find the site. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in with that with another I, I feel like I'm gonna ramble, but locked in, locked in. Okay. KJ, what is your ramble? Well, and you know, maybe he's a rambling guy. Maybe that's why the answer's a bit of a ramble here. But um it 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 had to do with if you get the land permit, then the government knows you're there and then companies might know you're there. And the next thing you know, everybody's there and it doesn't really matter that you had the permit. You're, it's, I don't say corruption, that's too strong of a word, but it just, it wouldn't work out for you unless you can get this gold out of here without anybody realizing. So I apologize for a, a not very succinct answer, but there it is. Well, that's fine. That's fine. Kevin, what do you right, have? It's not very succinct. <laughs> Uh, again, along the lines of KJ, I, I feel like he rattles off a number of ways that their gold would be taken from them. Um, everything from giving the state their due to bandits. Um, so I, I, hopefully the answer falls somewhere in there because I feel like that's about as specific as I can get. All right, Nick, what do you have? It was specifically the mining company would say they had no right to be there in the first place. All right, and Pat, what do you have? exactly what nick said that yeah he says that a mining company will show up and say that they did not have a right to be there in the first place okay very good i think points for everyone what oh come on that was a mining <laughs> company <laughs> they specifically said mining company they, no, they specifically <laughs> said anybody including did, did, government did, bandits and a mining all right company. yeah I, so we'll go I'm perfectly content not getting a point on that all one. Right, i feel like that's fair, fair enough <laughs> I think KJ, you said mining company, though, right? But he said three other things. <laughs> That's a, it was a rambling. All answer, right, so. fair enough. I will uh, then. We'll keep it to Pat and Nick. Or uh, we go back to the tape and we see. Exactly. That one. Here's I was the first one. On. Yeah, audience, let us know on Twitter who. Uh, should I'll give it points. to Pat and Nick. I think that that is most fair. All right. So I brought this question forward. We talked about the character. Now talking about the setting. Um, this idea of the Wild West and how it's how it's portrayed, and maybe we can compare it to other other westerns or maybe other types of genres. Gritty. It was true wild, for sure. I feel like it's compared to other westerns that I've seen, and I am I am not an expert on the western genre, but like compared to westerns, at least that I have seen. The, the westerns in general have a bit have a bit of sort of fantasy about them like an idealization um even in something like 
tombstone like you know there there's a level of just mythos that surrounds it that is not here <laughs> um and that might be because it's an american making a movie set in mexico where they don't know the mythos per se but i don't even think traven's work per se which we haven't really talked about traven himself but no one knows who he is um but presumably he lived in mexico that seems to be the general assumption but he he sort of had certainly more familiarity with it. But this does not have a mythos. This does not have a sense of any sense of idealization. That's why even my word was dusty, because this is just like, this is dirty. This is just, it's, it's, a, it's a very gritty, gritty movie. And there's very little sense here of an idealization of that world. Um, I think even Dobbs sort of gets at that when he says like, I thought we were just going to be coming out here to pick up my, you know, gold, gold nuggets lying on the ground. Like that's sort of what people have in their minds when they think of the, the a gold mine like people find the gold mine and it's not that at all i think this movie does a good job of depicting that that's why i only used a few words because it's big risk big reward like that's what it is there's no middle ground here you you're in uncharted territory you're trying to make it rich and get it back alive yeah i agree guys gritty dirty dusty um i also haven't seen too many westerns i don't think but it, it kind of reminded me of uh, grapes of wrath the setting in Grapes of Wrath, that Dust Bowl, that uh, bleak kind of, the hope's not really there, right? They're getting gold, literal gold. And even then, it, it, like at no point was I was like, yeah, these guys are going to make it. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like in the gold rush, at the end of the gold rush, right? That uh, is that Charlie Chaplin? Cha Charlie Chaplin made it. I was like, oh, we're not going to get that scene in this movie. So and, and I think a lot of that was because of the setting. I think that conversation kind of sets up the um, the the cutthroat environment that's all around them. You know, they're facing threats from all over the place, uh, internal to their group, uh, from the government, from bandits, from mining companies, from all these different sources. And I think uh, it sort of introduces that pressure of, look, you're in this for yourself, and. Uh, that's that's all that really matters at the end of the day. Nick, you remember the Magic the Gathering card, the Goblin King? And then the, the subtext there was, uh, the only way to become the Goblin King is to kill the Goblin King, so nobody wants to be the Goblin King. It, it, this kind of felt like, once you have the gold, it's the worst thing that could happen, because <laughs> now it's it's heavy, it's bulky, and everybody wants it, right? It's Just yeah. pretend that you're hunters and have a bunch of pelts and you'll be okay. I was gonna say there's two things that I think are interesting. One is to, to tr based on what you were just saying, KJ, is that the, it, the sort of moral of it is, it, it's often it reminded me of when I first saw the movie is the Steinbeck's The Pearl, which I think is just like, I don't really like Steinbeck, but it, Steinbeck's The Pearl is a very similar thing where it's like basically a guy finds a pearl and he has to get it. You know, he could, he could accept a small reward for it by selling it in his local village, or he can take it to the city and try to sell it for big money and he chooses to do the latter and basically it does not does not work out for him um so it, i think it's a much worse take on it but it is interesting but there's also i think traven is and i didn't i i hadn't read the book but i remember watching the movie when i first saw it and the scene i love is the one where walter is explaining why gold has so much value <laughs> because that's I don't know if anybody else noticed knows it's what the, that is, but his explanation is lifted from Das Kapital. Mm -hmm. That's a Marx. That is Marxism. Yes, it is directly lifted from Marxism, which is the labor theory of value that the amount that something is worth is based on the amount of labor that went into getting it, so that or producing it. So the idea that gold is worth money because of all the people that 
failed before you. So every, you know, thousand, you know, 200 people went out into the mountains and they all failed to find the gold. And therefore, when you find it, you're actually inheriting all of their labor. So there's this really like very, you know, Traven himself is very Marxist. And there's this very Marxist sense of it that you, by taking this gold, are stealing other people's labor. That's why it's worth so much money. And that's why everyone's stealing it from you. And that's why they're not necessarily wrong for trying to steal it from you. It's like a really weird, and that's why it's so bleak because it's just totally this just very bleak, just take on, on labor, on value, on everything going on there. And it's, it's really, it's really tough. It's really cool. Yeah, it's, I looked back over the book. The labor theory of value explanation is not actually in the original Howard doesn't give that in in the text, which is which is really fascinating. That like Houston is out marxing <laughs> in nineteen forty. Yes, in nineteen forty eight. Exactly, he's out marxing Traven. Um, I I think the but that attitude is lifted from the book. Exactly what you said, Pat. Like people are not necessarily wrong for doing what they're doing. And part of it, what you see more, I think, in, in Traven than in this, but it's the same concept of like the environment, the social conditions make these people. These people aren't necessarily motivated necessarily by um, what we might think of as individual agency or something like that. You see that all over the book. It's these kind of capitalist institutions that do this and in the book especially it's like brutally anti-catholic it's like the catholic church has caused all the problems in latin america it's caused all these problems in in mexico and it's why like for example the bandits are not really at fault for what they're doing they're just sort of a product of this history and this environment and i think you're you're exactly right pat that's like why both the book and the movie are so bleak. It's that this world doesn't have, um, because of the environment of this world, guilt doesn't end anywhere. It doesn't end in an individual. It's sort of just dispersed amongst this, this brutal landscape. Such a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. All right. Here we are at the end of round one, and in the lead is Pat with two points, and then trailing right behind, Nick, Kevin, and KJ each have a point apiece, but no worries. Questions in round two are worth two points apiece. I will see you after this break. Hello, and, and welcome, welcome back to B-Side. B B Finally, it is B-Side. Today we're going to be talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We're going to be discussing the famous W.F. Murnau film from 1927, Sunrise. The Icelandic movie from 2015, Rams. Juzo Itami's 1985 picture, Tam Popo. And today I'm going to be talking about a good old film that we just covered, and this is 1984's Ghostbusters. Talking Pictures Trivia B-Side, wherever you listen to Talking Pictures Trivia. And we're back. We're at the critical point of our episode where we ask the guests a key question. If you could write your own sequel for The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, what would it be? Who would like to start? 
The only sequel I could envision is somehow following the curtain story to uh, Texas and seeing what happens there. Um, being a, a sequel to this movie, I can only imagine everybody loses everything and dies. Um, but I, I guess that could be a good story. I don't know. We'll see if maybe somebody could craft it that way. But I think the fact that it's been uh, 70 some years and nobody has attempted a sequel is pretty good indication that it's a tough act to follow. You never know though with Hollywood, you never know. I, I would, I would, I would agree. I don't, I don't, and I tried, I tried coming up with like some clever name, but I couldn't come up with a name. Um, it's like dose or something. There's, there's just like, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do here. Um, the only, the thing I thought of, which I'm like, I couldn't do because it's already been taken. Is, is anybody, is, is anybody on this call ever done, um, played Fallout uh, New Vegas? No, but I'm aware of it. <clears throat> Fallout New Vegas has a whole, like, it was one of their downloadable things, like afterwards where it was it was based on treasure of the sierra madre it was called treasure of the sierra madre and the whole thing is like there's this casino in the nuclear wasteland afterwards that uh you need like they basically need to break into but the problem is every time people try to break into it they all turn against each other as they're trying to work through it and then they all just die uh so, so this this guy who's desperate to get through there has come up with a scheme and he puts these like bomb collars on everyone. So if any one of them dies, they all die. So they have to make sure that every single, all four people that go into this like casino to try to break in, in the post nuclear wasteland actually get through. So I feel like you should do something like that. I, you know, just because it's already been stolen, but you know, something along those lines we'll go with where um, they, you know, these people have to go into the, into the mountains, but if any one of them dies, they all die. And then that, that way you don't have to worry about the, the situation they ran into in this movie. What's the time period? Is it also a dystopian future or? Yeah, the, the Fallout series is supposed to be like, it imagines that around, I can't remember exactly what the year is, but around the year like 1960, that everything up to about 1960 occurred the way it did. And then there's sort of like a divergent history. Um, and so the, the, the games take place sort of in the, you know, the relatively like, you know, in a hundred or so years in our future. Um, but that's sort of the idea, but we'll go with that. Cause I got, I got nothing else. Hmm. Is Fallout the Ayn Rand one? Do I have that correct? No, no, that's Bioshock. Bioshock, okay, I get these that's things. Bioshock, Bioshock yeah. is the Ayn Rand one. Mm -hmm. How about a prequel following Howard? And I'll even throw this out there. Howard is a super successful gold miner, and he's been successful. He's got tons of gold, and this whole movie was a scam that he put on. So he actually walked away with all that gold, and <laughs> uh, you know the mark was Dobbs and, and Curtin. Is what you find out at the end of Sierra Madre Dos. It could work. <laughs> I, my mind never went there, but yeah, it, you could tell that story. Or you just have the story of Howard before this, one of his earlier. Show how him he learning to be a prospector. And who's going to play? Who's going to play Walter Houston? Yeah, that's exactly it. Who's going to play Howard? Who could? Oh God, it cannot be Daniel Day Lewis. I'm just going to put a moratorium <laughs> on that right now. You're not allowed to cast Daniel Day-Lewis. I don't care that he's in his 60s. He was going to beg for the role. I, yeah. I, this is, I don't know if it's the right time to make this joke, but what if um, uh, Will Smith played the prospector and his son directed it to keep the tradition alive? Will Smith isn't like, I don't know, right? I mean, he's not like, jovial okay 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 does samuel jackson way? have any kids that could direct it because i think that's an important piece of why this movie worked was that father's son 
I like those are the only two we can think of. Yeah. They, they, that also forms one of my favorite trivia questions, which is what is the only grandfather, like father, child relationship that's ever won Academy Awards? All three of them have won that a grandparent did, the parent mm-hmm. did, and the child did. Because Houston. Walter Houston, Walter Houston won for this movie. John Houston won for many movies. And Angelica Houston won as well. And I think her father directed her in that movie too, that she won her Academy Award for. She won, did she win it for The Dead? Or yeah, I win? don't remember what movie she won it for, but I know she did win. And I'm pretty sure he directed her in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one of the three pairs that have won. Oh, no. You know what she won for? Prizzy's Honor. Prizzy's Honor which, with Jack Nicholson. Um, yeah, that's right. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the other, one, the other one of the Coppolas, the Coppolas have also won. Because Coppola's, yeah. Sofia Coppola won, Francis Ford Coppola won, and Francis Ford Coppola's father, grandfather, won for the score, because he did the score for The Godfather. He did part so of the score, the other, yeah, Carmine that's, Coppola. Yeah, Carmine, yeah. so that's the that's the mm-hmm. other grandfather, yeah. or like grandparent, parent, child mm-hmm. pair that's won Academy Awards. Yeah, his father was a very accomplished flautist of all. There's actually a great, a really, really good deleted scene from The Godfather Part Two, where like you see... Um, Actually, this is nothing to do with yeah, So I'll just move on. I was, was waiting to see where you so, went. It's time for question three. What is the one thing we know that Curtin does better than Howard? Locked in. Uh, locked in. Locked in. It just came to me. Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. All right, Nick, you started up. What do you have? Sure, it's going to be obvious when someone else says it, but he is better at moving burros down the trail. All right, KJ, what do you have? Reading. And Pat, what do you have? Yeah, that was what I was going to go with, reading. Better at reading. Wait, better than who? Howard. Better than how, uh, Howard. Yeah. You're locked in, I you're locked so. in, you're locked in. I know, I thought you said Dobbs. <laughs> I thought you said Dobbs. referencing earlier when... <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I didn't listen to the question correctly. All right, Kevin, what do you have? I also did not listen to the question correctly and came up with driving the burrows down the trail. Oh, right. So it, it was reading. Um, the ability of Howard to read is not particularly interesting to me, but I did bring this up just to talk about Walter Houston, that character, which we haven't really covered yet, and why is this character endured and why is he so appealing? He's an interesting one because I ha- the performance is wonderful. I agree with you, Tom. There are some moments where, and I think this is partially just a credit to the success of the performance because it's so often parodied that it's hard to tell whether he's leaning into the parody or whether the parody was just stealing from him. Like it, 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 my thing is I always think of um, Stinky Pete from Toy Story 2. Like he has that very sort of, you know, yeehaw, you know, like, and it doesn't happen that often, but especially like the moment when they actually find the gold and he does his little, he does his little dancing <laughs> jig and he's like, you, you're, you're the stupidest people ever. You don't know. You know he's going <laughs> this whole thing. And I'm like, I remember watching that going, this is a bit over the top, but he, but that's, that's the criticism that I'll give of it. At the same time, it is a fantastic character. And I think he's, He's so endearing because you know he's pretty, you know he's brutal because he does do brutal things at times where he thinks them or this kind of sense. But there's also the sense that he is very fair 
Um, but he'll tell you, I mean, he says at one point, he's like, well, if I was actually younger, maybe I would just run off and take all your money, but you know, I'm too old. So you can trust me that I can't, that I won't do that because I can't anymore. So he sort of has this wisdom that comes with age and his inabilities become his strengths. And I think he's just, he's a great, fascinating character. He's also the only glimpse of hope in the film. He's giving them a way out. And at first I thought he might have been someone who says, oh yeah, I know all the stuff about gold, but then he actually did know stuff about gold. So there was a chance that they would be able to literally dig themselves out of the trouble they're in. However, that's not how it all played out. How about you, Tom? Uh, I I was going to say, there is two things I'd say, first in response to Nick, he, Howard also basically lets them know you're going to end up broke at the end of this. Like I have done this a ton of times. I have been successful and ended up broke again. And anybody who's ever prospected for gold just becomes addicted to it. It's a roulette wheel and you're eventually just going to be broke again and have to do it again. Um, And so there is a sense of, we admire him because he's extremely competent. He knows what's going on. Like he, we, we see this especially with the fool's gold towards the beginning. I was just gonna say, it's like fool's gold. <laughs> yeah, there's one thing that's valuable. It's water. You know that that that's a terrible impression. But anyway, that's that's more of a newspaper guy. Um, and so I think that even though he's this really ebullient and excited and um, very fun character. There is a sort of no nonsense. Listen, we're gonna go broke again. That's just how this game works. There is he he's kind of telling them in this hopeful way. There is no hope, which I think is the only way you could do it. Otherwise, the movie just becomes bleak and and hard to watch. Um, the other thing about it, which I, I mentioned in last week's first impression, was there's a great deal of subtlety in the things. It's not just this kind of big, laughing, um, you know, Simpsons-like character. It's there's moments I remember when. Dobbs first comes up with the idea to divide up the gold every night, like every night we should we should do this. And Houston's Howard just goes kind of fine by me. And he gives Curtin like this little look like, are you seeing this? Like he kind of detects when things are beginning to go south. He sort of is able to mark the progress. He seems to know what's going to happen before it does. And he's not exactly playing dumb. But he's not always giving everyone the information, all of the information that he has. Um, and I think that comes out in like little details Houston, Houston gives to this role. And I think that's what I really, really liked about it. He was the only one who really won, though. He gets to go back to that tribe and be a medicine man and be worshipped pretty much. So he, in the end, found his path. I mean, I think Curtin, at least it's suggested, does, potentially does, too. Because his thing is, which the only thing I would disagree with you, Tom, is that, you know, there's certain, because when they're discussing what they're going to do with their money, it is obvious that, like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the, the question, though, is Curtin says, I want to go, you know, I want to purchase some land and go and go start a fruit farm. Okay, is he actually going to go do that with the money? Impossible to say. Dobbs's answer is obviously total garbage, which I love. He's like, and hopefully I'm not stepping on any questions, but he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to go get a, I'm going to go, you know, to a restaurant and order every single, I'm going to go to a Turkish bath 
And then I'm going to go to a restaurant and I'm going to order everything on the menu and I'm going to ball out the waiter, even if he does everything perfectly. Like, it's just, you know, and then, and then they're like, well, what else are you going to do? And he's like, what else is there to do? There's <laughs> just this sense that this guy's going to waste it. You totally get it. Curtin at least has an idea that he might go use the money for something valuable. And then he finds out that actually he doesn't even need to use the money for anything valuable. Apparently he just needs to go woo this widow. You know, it's sort of the implication, I guess, that you're supposed <laughs> to get from it, that he could get his farm. But if he had the money, he probably still wouldn't get his farm. But now that he doesn't have the money, he might get his farm. Um, so, But there's less of a direct implication on Curtin that he would fail to use his money properly. Mm. There's never an indication, I don't think, that Curtin would waste it. Yeah. I, I, yeah, fair enough. I, I, I would agree with that. Um... I would say one thing about how I mentioned this to Pat in a text is uh, the little dance, that famous dance, um, comes from uh, Eugene O'Neill taught that to Walter Houston when they were working on Desire Under the Elms, the play Desire Under the Elms, back in in Provincetown in the 1920s. So that that little dance actually comes from our only Nobel Prize winning playwright. <laughs> so it's and if we want to little... talk about a hoot, you should go see Desire <laughs> Under the Elms. Now that is a laugh a minute film. Yeah, there, there's actually not. I don't know what you think about the film version, Pat. It's I've never not, seen it. Oh, uh, it's it's not terrible. It has Sophia Loren and Anthony. I love Tom's. <laughs> uh, anyway, but <laughs> tidbits. Not terrible. <laughs> hey, not terrible is high praise from Tom, though. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah. Very much so. It's time for question four. How do the villagers, to whom Goldhat attempts to sell the burrows, know the animals are stolen? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in. KJ, what do you have? The burrows are not mavericks. They are branded. Kev, what do you have? Uh, not only are they branded, but um, they know from the brand that they sold these burrows to the gringos. All right. And Nick, what do you have? I'm hoping we get points for whoever gets the most specific answer. They are branded with an A. And Pat, what do you have? I mean, they're branded with an A, but it's sort of a loopy A with like, you know, loops at the legs. And then so and then it has a, a loop around the top and across this thing. So, I mean, you know, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a stylized A. For, for the audience at home, Pat's drawing his fingers a perfect <laughs> yeah, brand. There's a loop. There's a loop. As it was in the <laughs> there, is, there is a loop. <laughs> um, I think it's also implied that they, I mean, yes, it is mostly the brand. I think it's also implied they recognize that it's Dobbs clothes. That they recognize the boots that they also had purchased, but yeah, in general, it's mostly the donkeys, the or the branding on the mules. Yeah. All right, and yes, indeed, it was the brand, and that gives Pat the win. Yay! Nice. Congratulations. Yay. So you have six points, but you know, if you stick around, you could get more and more and more. So I don't know if you want to <laughs> cash out on the win or risk or a few bonus all... rounds. Let's do some bonus rounds. Uh, sorry, Tom, I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I'm, I'm always up for that. Do we want to do a bonus I have, round? I have lost these before doing that. Okay. What was the po- who got points on that one? Sorry. Okay, so I'll if give we're it... gonna do this. Okay, so we'll do a bonus question. Um, Pat right now has six. Uh, KJ has five. Kevin has three and Nick has three. Do I have that correct? 
Okay. So everyone got that one right? Yes. Okay. That's all I needed. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, uh, oh God. <laughs> all right. God, KJ, hope I get this. Oh, wait. For three points, though. Oh. Okay. So that means this next question, in order for Nick and Kev to have a chance, let's make this four points just to make this competitive oh, oh, that is oh wait this, do we let's, agree let's make it 10 i mean I'm... well pat is probably the only one who has to agree right? uh oh kevin's got the bug too we're all getting addicted to uh, these points right. once you get 10 points you're gonna want 15 points how do we steal pat's points the thing is i have to be, i have to be able to carry some points i feel to carry some points over to future rounds pat, would you like me to hold some of your yeah, points for say, where are you gonna keep them at night <laughs> There might be a, a Gila monster or whatever. <laughs> it's time for a bonus question. How much do you need to start your gold mining expedition? Locked in. Locked in. Locked in with another rambling answer, but I'll end on a number, Tom. I will end on a number. Okay. I'll lock in. Sure. Why not? Now, is the price is right or you, you got to get it exact? <sighs> Uh, sure, we could do prices right. Um, uh, everything. Yeah. All right, Kevin, what do you have? Uh, I'll I'll ramble a little bit just to get there. Um, so I, I think they take three hundred from the guy, right? And then um, Dobbs wins two hundred. I can't remember if Howard kicks anything in or not. So I'll I'll go with I'll go with five hundred. Okay, KJ, what do you have? I, I thought Howard said something like, well, you need at least 200 to get started. And then, well, and then ends on, I reckon, about 600. So I go 600. Okay. Nick, what do you have? I actually had the same as KJ. I had 600. I, for some reason in my head, I thought it was like supposed to be like 200 a piece. And then that whole thing. But yeah, 600. And Pat, what do you have? I was going to say 600, but I think in, in the interests of like sixth grade math rules, you have to provide your units. Um, it's $600. It was 600. Because you're talking about pesos? As an engineer, I agree. We should have units. Oh, my goodness. It's No, it was 600. Pesos. Yes! Oh! yes! <laughs> I didn't say 600 either. When, no, one he didn't, no, no one said the so peso. nobody's getting the points nobody oh, okay <laughs> KJ you just talked us out of points you know that right well but I mean you have to provide units well, then Pat I, mean, I agree I... he said dollars <laughs> based yeah, on I, our I rules of this episode vagueness wins <laughs> that was one of my favorite I was, I was in um if you've ever been to the Middle East, which like they they love to bargain at the bazaars. So like you can't if you go into a bazaar and you try to just accept face value, they'll kind of be like, no, 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 you, you have to like <laughs> you have mm -hmm. to bargain. So I went into a bazaar once and I was like bargaining with a guy and I like talked him down to something. And we finally get to the end and he was like, OK, so, you know, like whatever the number we talked it down to was. And I go, OK. And so we're talking. Um, I can't remember what country I was in. So let's say it was like Turkey. And I was like, I was like, so we're talking Lira, right? And he was like, no, we've been talking about Euro. And I was like, no, no, no. I think we're talking about Lira. And he was like, no. And he goes, <laughs> All right, we'll settle on yen. And I was like, no, no, no. You never said what unit we were talking about. He's like, I was, of course, not talking about Lira. <laughs> 
so yes indeed i mean the other questions i had were like where is cody from um what is dobbs doing in the opening shot of the film if anybody you know i could keep going but um anyway very good so we'll congratulate pat on his victory both in regulation and in bonus the unusual regulation plus bonus victory it's time for movie rent um i'll i'll start this up i actually did i don't mean to ignore kevin but i did want to ask pat what he meant by the making a decision a major life decision based upon this movie that you mentioned last week in the 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 opener there the advertisement what what major decisions did you make based upon this film uh tom pat's a prospector (laughs) He was going to go get that gold. <laughs> he has been. But he realized for... it was if, a fool's if, errand. If you want to talk about now. it, I didn't. I didn't no, yeah. no, I do. No, I do. So, no, he so, killed that guy one time. Pat has been murdering people in Mexico for years. All the no points idea, he's yeah. been gathering on Talking Victor Trivia, do you know where they are now? Like it's... <laughs> do you know where those who tried to take my points are? That's the better question. Um, no, so the, the, the decision that I ended up making off of this film was so when I was, um, when I used to work in the corporate world, so there... Uh, we sold our company at one point and we had an opportunity, or at least I did to stay longer and potentially make more or potentially lose. And it was at this point, like I hated, I did not like that company. And so I'd been working there for a few years at that point. And it was getting towards the point where I could have either stayed or left. And I'd actually watched this movie and it sort of was the like, yeah, you know what? I should just go. Cause it, it was legitimately like we had a certain idea of what we would get out of it before like before we had kind of gone into this process and we had to stay for four years and we sort of knew what I was hoping to get out of it and it had exceeded that and I remember thinking like I could stay you know and and I've already exceeded what I'd hoped to get or I could go and I you know basically after literally after watching this movie I went yeah I should go (laughs) because it was this sort of the the whole the whole the whole way of what I was doing at that time was sort of soul crushing and it was sort of this point where I went, yeah, you know what, this is, this is just, and, and I'm not worried I'm going to end up like Dobbs, but it was yes. sort of this thing where I'm like, I just, I got to get out of this because this is, this is just, it's a very bad situation. We've got, I've gotten what I hoped to get out of it and I got to get out now. And, and, and I really do mean that. I mean that in a legitimate sense, this movie, actually watching this movie and thinking about it after the fact made me make the decision to leave at that point because I thought I don't I just I can't stay here any longer and that was based on this film no very interesting hmm. got enough very time cool. to go yeah, yeah that's pretty wild Pat so are you living on a tropical island where you had saved no somebody? I live in oh. Queens bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah the tropical island on the <laughs> <laughs> tropical island of Long Island <laughs> oh boy. um Another question I'll ask, I'll ask this of, uh, I'll start with Kevin uh, as, our, as our other guest here who actually did his homework and read the book. Um, and I know Pat, you did as well, but I was thinking, uh, Kevin, how did you feel about like this as adaptation, how this was transferred from one medium into another? Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting how they, um, I think in, in modern adaptations, you know, the, the screenwriter takes broad strokes of a book and kind of writes a screenplay that is loosely based on, on a book. And, um, 
this this film held really close to the book, um, both in theme and actually a lot of the dialogue was lifted directly from the book as well. I thought that was really interesting, um, you know, and and I think that hearing the hearing the nuance that the characters sort of breathed into that dialogue was was really interesting because, like I said, um, I think it was last week in the uh, in in the preview, I, I didn't really read a lot of nuance into that dialogue when I was reading the book, and um, and, and it really came out in the movie. Um, and I think something that came out in the movie that I did not get at all from the book was, I feel like this movie could have very easily been subtitled Holden Caulfield goes prospecting. Because uh, I, I felt like Dobbs and Holden Caulfield from Catcher in Rye were like the exact same character once I saw Dobbs on screen, but I didn't get that from the book so much. Um, and just the way, just the way that Dobbs like, spits the word mug out as if it's, you know, pejorative. I feel like it, it reminded me very distinctly of Holden Caulfield's calling everyone phonies. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the film, I guess, I guess all of, all of that was there in the book, but uh, I wasn't perceptive to pick up on it um, there, but I thought that it was really well done in the film and, and brought a lot of that to the fore. Like a great, I like that observation because it is because this is Catcher in the Rye comes out right around the same time, right? Catcher in the Rye yeah. is forty nine. Yeah, it's right around yeah. the same time. So there is this sense of like late forties. Like if you're if you're a person who calls out the phonies and you call out the the BS, like you're you're a, you're one of the good ones. Even if you're doing bad things, you you're smart. You know, like there is this sense that 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 was something that was acceptable at that. Well, not acceptable at that time, but it was an attitude at that time. And I don't, you know, I don't think Catcher in the Rye or this film are, are, are sort of, you know, sort of promoting that attitude. But it's interesting to note that that was certainly an attitude that was prevalent. I, I think they're both actively putting that attitude down. I think they're, they're, I think both Catcher in the Rye and Treasure of Sierra Madre are both saying uh, people that go around calling everyone else phonies, nine times out of 10, they're the ones that have the problem. And I, I think that's, that's certainly true in Catcher in the Rye, and I think it's true in um, Treasure of Sierra Madre as well. It's been so many years since I've read Catcher. I think I read it in high school. I was like, I, I have no reason to ever revisit this book. Um, but yeah, uh, but from from what I remember of of Catcher, it's it's much more like the psychology and agency of this kid. What's interesting about the book, and I think what what really does carry over from the book into into the movie, um, is that these people are products of environments more than anything. And Kevin, correct me if I'm I'm wrong about that with Catcher. Again, it's been twenty five years of reading a book that I think that's first totally time. in Catcher. I think that's no, totally. I, said, okay, I, I agree. I, I mean, I think I think it's more so in. Treasure of Sierra Madre, but it's certainly there in Catcher in the Rye as well. Isn't there something also, because I, I read the book two years ago, I remember there, isn't there something also different with the, the dude who shows up at their camp? Isn't yeah, it's, it's a different character. Yeah. yeah. It's not Cody, it's Lacond. And they eventually come to an agreement with him where it's like, yeah, you can, you can mine with us. You can't have what we have, but you can mine with us. And the idea with him is after they leave, he's like, there's a big find here and they're like there isn't just come back 
and he's yeah. like yeah there's a, he's from and he's also from arizona instead of dallas but he's like there's a big find here i'm gonna i'm gonna find it and as they're leaving howard's like there's people like this all the time they think like the next big find is going to be wherever they are and it never is he's just going to be here alone doing this i've seen this a million times so it's making a much much subtler point mm-hmm. than them just going to kill this dude in cold blood yeah yeah and and um there's no mention of curtain going to this guy's widow or this guy's farm oh. or anything in, in fact i believe curtain and howard were going to go in together on a movie theater um they Which didn't kind have of, the money, I think, right? They, so they don't have the money. They're short, but I think that's their plan. And I, I think it, it almost speaks to like, um, so in the movie, it's very clear that like Dobbs is the villain. But I think in the book, you all, you kind of get where Dobbs is coming from. Like there's some legitimacy to him feeling threatened in the book that's not there in the film. Um, I think in, in the film, it's kind of like, yeah, Dobbs is clearly going to be the one to, to break here. Um, but in, in the film, it's kind of like, well, anybody could. And I think that sort of alliance between um, Curtin and Howard kind of speaks to the legitimacy of Dobbs's fear. We never talked about the bandits. We never talked about the stinking badges. Yeah, the, the great, the, the, it's the, one of, the line. <laughs> the line, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I think um, We Don't Need No Stinking Badges is up there with Luke, I Am Your Father for yeah, most, for most misquoted, yeah. of yeah. all time. Yeah, I, I wrote it out because that was also going to be one of the questions is like, can you say the entire line <laughs> or, the, or the entire thing? Um, but I, I decided not to torture everybody with that <laughs> with that particular question. Um, yeah, that guy is great. His, He's um, a wonderful, whoever he is, is a wonderful actor. <laughs> Alfonso Bedoya, who was a big Mexican actor. I mean, actually there's a bunch of- He's wonderful. Yeah, there's a bunch of like Western stalwarts. Like actually the guy who's talking to Howard when Howard's giving his um, his labor theory of value speech is actually the father of the actor who played Curtin, who was, who's been in like 80, 80 things or 80 silent films or what have you. Um, yeah, but Alfonso Bedoya is dazzling. <laughs> My favorite, the, the best thing with him is at the end when they're, st- when they're, uh, when right before they killed, well, I guess we're ruining the end of movies. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. fine. People fine. expect to see the movie. Okay, yeah. that's fine. So yeah. it, the best thing is with him right before they kill Dobbs and they're, it, the sequence between the three of, like, I guess there's four of them. There's the other two guys and between Dobbs and those guys. That is just such a good sequence. Just watching that because you know at this point, you're like, oh no, he's totally gonna die. But you don't, you're still hoping. Yeah, but I wasn't really sure if he was going to die or just beaten to a pulp or something. I was actually surprised when he was killed. I know the movie's taking us in that direction, but yeah, I still like couldn't believe it was happening. <laughs> and in the book, he's decapitated. Yeah. And it happens like this. Yeah, like I remember was... being very, very taken aback by like, oh crap, that just happened. I yeah. expected there to be some some build up to it, and it was just like, yeah. So then he cut his head off with a machete. It's like, holy wasn't crap, really? That, wasn't there something like they try? They had like a head roll into the water, and they made them cut it or something. Yeah, that's what. Um, I don't know if they had it filmed or if that was the plan, but the plan was that, and I think Jack Warner, the the you know Warner Brothers produced this, put his foot down there. Um. I still think they were effective 
at creating that suspense and like how's this gonna go down oh it's brutal it's so, yeah. it, but his yeah. his smile like i love that that actor's the and smile Dobbs is done. he has no outs yeah. i mean yeah it's so good like and I love the fact that Tops tries to hire them to move the boroughs <laughs> is so good. Tom asked about adaptation, and we talked about you know things that are a, a little bit different in the book that maybe are somewhat important. And I think um, it almost reminds me of a like a Star Wars Who Shot First kind of thing. Um, but in the book, Dobbs shoots Curtin once. And then he goes back to camp and then he comes back and shoots him again. And in the movie, he shoots him quick. He shoots him twice real quick. And I think to me, it, I was surprised that they did that because I thought, I thought coming back to the body and shooting it again, just to make sure is a heck of a lot more willful than a heat of the moment shot him twice. And I, I was just surprised that they took it from like, no, Dobbs is really off the handle so much so that he's going back and thinking about things and then coming back and doing this brutal thing again. Um, as opposed to in the film, it was just like, bang, bang. Okay, it's over. Um, I don't know if, if Tom or Pat, you, re you remembered that in the, in the book, but I was really affected by it when I read the book and I was surprised that they changed it in the film. I think they... They, I agree. I think they try to give it a little, I, and I'm guessing it was more for filming that it would have been cumbersome to film it or at least tedious to film it. But they do give it a little bit of mention because I think when he goes back and he meets with Walter, he says something like, you know, the, he shot me once. And then in order to make sure I was dead, he shot me again he says something yeah. like that he, he says like waiting. he must have come back because i don't even remember i was blacked out and i woke yeah. up and had two bullets and me instead of one or mm -hmm. something he says along something those along those lines but i agree i think it's it's they try to give it the meaning and i don't know if it was just because they didn't want to have to film him go back although it's odd because they do have him film and they have him going back and forth from the fire like multiple times but they mm -hmm. never actually have him go back Maybe they, they maybe they filmed it both ways and and because um, you know the the gun is off screen so maybe maybe he shot him once in in one take and or uh, you know and any and they came back and and did it again and they decided no that might be a little bit too too brutal same as the head roll in the water kind of thing and and cut it to just okay shoot him twice. I say one thing we'd point out about the the adaptation is. Um, the what what's missing in the book is that there's a bunch of these like little short stories integrated in um that are really i fast. love like, those short stories i especially yeah, love absolutely. the one with the woman the the woman who finds the silver mine that is such a good story yeah yeah i think kj brought up um you know once you once you find this gold like the battle is only half done here and i think that particular vignette with that woman with the silver mine you know I think that's the entire point of that is that you know this process isn't going to end once you once you get the wealth you are locked into this world forever and I think that's that's really um, demonstrated in in that vignette and I think the point it's making about capitalism and 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 um, corporate greed and and personal greed. Um, I think that 
that sort of um, this is where it inevitably ends for everyone always that sort of fatalistic attitude is is really brought out in that vignette and i think that it's it's especially something that applies to today because i know that that obviously if you let's say go mining for bitcoin you can much more easily unload your gains but there is sort of a still a sense of the that that let's just say Dobbs would be the the hodl you know the the hold on for dear life type like he would be he would be waiting and waiting and waiting to make his big money out of this thing and i think that it's a it has a lot more applicability to uh to a modern day than is immediately obvious i think it is a timeless film in that sense so speaking of being stuck somewhere for life Pat, you are stuck on this podcast for the rest of your days because you have once again won another episode. Congratulations, Pat. Thank you. It's always nice. Yeah. <laughs> you can find more of our content wherever you listen to podcasts on our YouTube channel, Twitter at Talking Studios, and our website, TalkingPicturesTrivia.com. We are extremely grateful to all those who subscribe, like, follow, and leave a review. What would be your goal limit? Let us know on Twitter, TalkingPicturesTrivia at gmail.com, or give us a call at 201-467-8679. Thanks again, Pat and Kevin, for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks. Always fun. You can find me on Twitter at ThomasLayman15. And you can find me on Twitter at KJ1000. I can also be found on Twitter at the nicknamed. Join us next time when we continue our book adaptations and jump right into the main event to discuss my recommendation from 1993, Jurassic Park. Stay tuned for our first impressions of this film. Ding, 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 ding. Next week, we'll be discussing Jurassic Park. Tom, how was your watch? I first watched this movie when it came in theaters and I got the VHS as a Christmas gift that year. So that must have been, uh, must have been 10, right? So my, my I was 10 years old. Um, and as a kid, I really loved this movie because I also really loved dinosaurs, right? I think that's a pretty common young boy thing. And, um, Watching it again, I watched it on my computer, and it's been quite a number of years. I have absolutely no idea where that VHS went. And I also reread the book, which is a book I read when I was 10 years old and got the, the movie and had the total experience. And uh, watching it again, I have to say, God bless Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum. What I wanted from this viewing was the romantic comedy of, of Ian Malcolm and Ellie Sattler as they run off together to, you know, make beautiful mathematic paleobotanist babies. Um, I think that ended up being my favorite part of the movie was, was watching Ian Malcolm flirt with, with, uh, with Ellie. Um, so it, that, that might speak to my, uh, my rewatch of, of Jurassic Park since my love of dinosaurs has, let's say, cooled in the past few decades. Chris, how was your first watch? Uh, I watched this movie just like you did in 1993 in the theaters. It was the first, this is the first advertisement that I remember seeing in a movie theater. I went to the movies with my, my mom all the time, and I vividly remember seeing the big, gigantic, matte black cardboard cutout with the red dinosaur 
the red circle with the, the dinosaur silhouette in it. And it, it stuck with me today. It stuck with me. It's, it's like one of my favorite movie logos ever. And my top 10 movies of all time, it's probably nine Star Wars movies and this one. Like this is, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I don't think it's the best movie in the world. I don't think that uh, somebody watching it today is going to say, oh my God, that's a theatrical masterpiece, but it has a special place in my heart. It really kind of drove my trajectory into really loving science. And now I, I do what I do for a living. Uh, so I, it's really influential for me, even though I know that now through a different lens, it's not the best movie in the world, but it's definitely got a really, really special place in my heart. What about you, KJ? How was your watch? Yeah, I can't believe you guys saw this in theaters. So I saw this with my family in the living room. I very distinctly remember. And I thought I was a little young, but my sister, who's a little younger than I am, was certainly too young. Um, it terrified her. She was screaming. Like, it was It was like not a, a healthy experience for her, I don't think. It was... But, uh, you know, we watched it on our 19-inch our CRT at the time with the built-in... Baller! Speaker, right? Yeah. <laughs> the giant 19-inch... Um, tube tv but in my memory the t-rex still filled the living room right it was still the movie is so good and so theatrical that even on the small screen in my memory the, the storm encompassed the whole living room um so i i really enjoyed it on, on this watch i just watched it on a laptop with the headphones um but i have watched it multiple times uh with a proper surround sound um often if, if it if there's a storm going on outside i'll just i'll put it on to to match the weather um i did read the book but not not back in 93 like you guys did that's another thing in third grade there's no way i'm reading a, a real book um I, I read it more recently probably on a plane or on a on a trip like this um i think i like the movie a lot more than the book but we'll get into it how about you nick i somehow must have convinced my parents to take me to the movies to see this when i was 10 i believe i was in fourth grade at the time and I was blown away by just the look and feel of everything. Just like Tom was saying before, I've known Tom since pre-K and we were really big into dinosaurs back in the day. And I think this was my first wave of nostalgia. You know, you have that pre-K nostalgia in like fourth grade, you know? So it was, it, it brought back that love of dinosaurs. And I will say to KJ's point, he was talking about when we read this, I have a vivid memory that this is the first book that I read in fourth grade that had over 400 pages that I willingly decided to read. So this was my first big book. <laughs> and that's why it was I was also his it. last. <laughs> He's read Sometimes. it twice though. So yeah. I, I thought there was going to be pictures, but no, no, no dice. But uh, yeah, that's why this one, aside from just really enjoying it, and I, I, I think this was, a big step in cinema as well when it comes to special effects, which I'm sure we'll get into, but I really still enjoy this movie. And yes, there's plenty of corny elements, just like Chris said, I don't think this is the best movie ever made, but I thoroughly enjoy watching it every time I do. Jurassic Park is available on HBO Max at the time of this recording. All right. Well, here we are at the end of round one, and we have a tie at two with Pat and Nick trailing right No, 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 no. Nick did not get that first point. Oh, 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 oh
Sadly. You're giving Nick the first one. Huh? Oh, sorry, my I'll mistake. take it, but no, I didn't deserve <laughs> well, it. Well, no, I'm saying maybe Kevin and I are going to know. Miners, bandits. Yeah, whatever. Governments. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Here we are at the end. <laughs> Here we are at the end of round one, and Pat is in the lead with two points. Nick and Kevin are right behind with a point apiece, and KJ is right behind them. But no need to worry. No. Hey Tom, <laughs> what is the score? <laughs> oh, wait, two to one to one. Two to one to one to one. Yes, it is. <laughs> Here we are at the. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>